You're in a Fenestration Conversation, where Canada's window and door industry talks about the things that matter to our businesses. Now here's your host, Patrick Flannery. Hello, everybody. Today, it was great to welcome back Suzanne Bernier from SB Crisis Consulting. Uh, Suzanne is a pandemic expert with uh, really a long and distinguished record in uh, helping governments and organizations plan for pandemic disasters and other crises. Um, she has a history of uh, helping out the Ontario WSIB with the SARS and H1N1 outbreaks, um, the government of Ontario, and she also worked at and presented to the UN in New York uh, on uh, pandemic matters and showed their showed off the WSIB's approach and uh, did some research into Switzerland's approach. Um, Suzanne and I spoke about uh, what we've learned about the virus since the original days of the pandemic, since the spring, it's the last time we spoke, uh, what we know now about how it works and how it doesn't work that was uh, different than what we knew then. Uh, she, and then we took some of that information into how businesses uh, should react uh, and uh, maybe uh, change uh, things that they've that they've been doing uh, through the pandemic. We talk about masks, for instance, and why those are why we're being told to wear them now, uh, whereas we weren't before. We talk about the risk of picking up the virus from surfaces and uh, how important uh, cleaning surfaces is. And we looked ahead to the prospects for a vaccine, how long that might take. Uh, and uh, what the winter might hold. And uh, spoiler alert, it's not all good news. At any rate, uh, Suzanne and I had a, a great discussion. She's very knowledgeable, very informed. And now I bring you Suzanne Bernier from SB Crisis Consulting. Well, this is exciting. I'm here with Suzanne Bernier again from SP Crisis Consulting, and uh, Suzanne has been uh, fantastic with with her time uh, at different points in the in the pandemic to help us out uh, to to understand uh, what is going on. Um, Suzanne, thank you so much for uh, for coming back with me. Thanks, Patrick. It's good to be on. Nice to talk to you today. Yeah, yeah, you, you know, you're, you're such a wealth of knowledge. Give us the quick uh, overview, I guess, before we get going on uh, on yourself and, and your background in, uh, in pandemic preparedness. Sure. Um, I've been in the area of emergency management now for about 25 years. And back in, some of us might remember, the bird flu days, mm -hmm. um, where um, this was even before SARS happened, where we were planning for a potential influenza pandemic. To, that would come through typically Asia and a lot of the government entities as well as private businesses and essential services had developed plans um, of which I was part of developing one of those plans back in uh, 2007. Um, and in Toronto here, it was based on some of the lessons learned, a lot of the lessons learned that we learned through SARS for those who are in the area might be familiar with what went down then. Um, and just to note for people as well, the difference between a pandemic and an epidemic. SARS itself back in the day was actually declared um, and listed as an epidemic, um, not a pandemic. 
because it only affected certain select regions, including the greater Toronto area as one of the, the largest at the time. But there's a lot of findings that we got from that. And so I was tasked with helping to create uh, Ontario's first pandemic plan for the Workplace Safety and Insurance Board. And uh, then from there, um, ended up presenting and talking about it at a United Nations meeting in Switzerland. It ended up that we had one of the best plans that they'd seen. So then I went to um, work for the United Nations uh, for two months in New York to help uh, run an exercise and evaluate the effectiveness of their emergency plans um, if a pandemic should happen. So basically exactly the scenario that they did face um, earlier this year was the one that we were exercising that they could face. And we were doing this in 2008. Um, so it's been a long time in the making where a lot of people have been doing work on the side, like in the background on pandemic. Um, but a lot of people just didn't hear about it. And, and a lot of other people who were, had done a lot of great work on the pandemic, some people might remember something called H1N1, which was a pandemic, and it was in 2009. However, it wasn't a very severe pandemic. A lot of people don't even remember it happened because it was so not severe. Um, but that did us a disservice in the field of emergency management and pandemic planning because I saw a lot of companies and governments sort of tuck away their plans after H1N1 happened, thinking, oh, okay, well, we got by that one pretty good, so we should be okay for the next one. And so that's what I think that we saw, where a lot of people who did have plans in place just may not have been very familiar with them when this new pandemic um, situation occurred. And uh, all of us were a little bit um, um, off by a couple of weeks, at least, on what we could have done, I think, sooner. Yeah, and I, you know, you, you you've been at this a long time now, and I, and and you know, we were saying offline and 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 just commenting that, you know, it must be amazing to you to see, and and, and I know I I I can relate, you know, the 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 exact attitude that you know did follow H one N one, and you know there there were some SARS and and this and you know and and it was it was very much when this initially came out, you know, a lot of us had the had the same. Uh, attitude, you know, oh, it's a, oh, it's a flu, you know, a, a few people who are already sick will, you know, die, but I mean, it's, you know, it's, 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 you know, not nothing everybody needs to get very excited about and boy, you know, it, it must be uh, amazing to, to you to see how, how all the, all the predictions and the models that had, that had been, uh, you, we'd been warned about, I mean, I, I, I read these things, I, I saw them in the journals, you know, the, hey, this, you know, a pandemic is coming, it's only a matter of time, it's only a matter of numbers. And, and, you know, we need to be ready. And, you know, of course, all those sorts of warnings tend to, it's kind of like climate change. They tend to fall on deaf right. ears until, you know, something until really, until this happens. Yeah, yeah. Until something really punches you in the nose, you know? So listen, with that, Suzanne, we, we, we haven't, we haven't spoken since um, um, the spring. Uh, it, there's been a, a lot of water under the bridge uh, uh, since then. Um, what, what, what have we learned? What, 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 I guess, what do we know about the about the virus and about this pandemic now that that we didn't know uh, uh, back the last time we spoke, which was probably around May? Right. Um, well, I guess a couple of things that we've we're pretty clear on now is that the way that the virus is transmitted is the reason that now we've kind of done a 
you know, before we were not thinking of encouraging people to use masks unless they were professionally required. Mm -hmm. And now you've seen that flip-flop of that, how that's, you know, flip-flopped over now Mm -hmm. um, to the consensus that masks are beneficial. Um, And so how that happened was um, originally, let's say, if we didn't have something that was highly transmissible, um, airborne, then that might not be an issue. But after doing, um, after they or researchers found out um, how how easily it's this spread airborne, um, then their recommendation, and rightfully so, was that the more people are masking, the more we can prevent those airborne particles from being around and then infecting others. Mm-hmm. Um, and so normally in the plans that we had originally um, prepared way back, talked a bit about masking, but it talked about it in that prevention um, for the prevention model as opposed to thinking you're going to be able to um, to not get the virus by wearing a mask. Not so, but it's much more about um, being able to, if you have the virus and you don't know it, it's, um, it's m- much better to um, wear a mask so that hopefully you can alleviate some of those particles that might be coming out as you're speaking. Um, So that was something that really dramatically changed, um, not overnight, but quite quickly on them realizing that it was much more airborne um, than than they had initially thought. And because of that, then yes, um, the the added action of instituting masking, they felt would be more um, advantageous than risk associated. So one of the risks originally we had said was that, well, a lot of people, if they don't know how to put their, take their um, mask on or off properly, might have an extra avenue of infection. If you're just fiddling with your mask all the time and touching your mask, then you might still get the virus, you know, inside. Um, So that was just another thing that to weigh uh, the risks versus the benefits. And when you weigh those with what we're dealing with here, uh, it's much more beneficial uh, and worth the, the risk um, by telling people and advising them to wear masks. Is this virus different than, uh, than, than previous coronaviruses in, in that it is so easily transmitted airborne, Suzanne? Yeah, it is different where every one of them is different, but this one as well is, is very different than how infectious it is. Mm-hmm. And also, um, with the ma- I kind of with the mask issue, but as well just the whole social distancing. Um, what we've seen is it's 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 airborne, it's easily contagious, and plus that whole um, the whole point about how we could be infectious for up to fourteen days and not even realize it ourselves, and some of us might go through it completely and and not even be aware of it, and that was something that very much changed everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they became aware of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're also seeing, and, and things are going to change, things are going to mutate a bit. Uh, we've already seen a couple of cases, not many, but a couple of cases um, back in China um, who were a little bit more advanced in um, the the emergency, um, how they now have a couple of cases of people who have been reinfected. Um, and so now we see that there is a possibility of reinfection, but not knowing how strong that is and how many are, this are, these are just a couple of one-offs 
Um, no one's sure of that yet, but it's constantly being monitored and evaluated just to see um, when it does change that we can also change our strategies or our um, our uh, vaccine uh, development accordingly as well. Now, my understanding is that why you get reinfected by things like the common cold and, and the flu is that it's never specifically the same virus. It's, it's mutating. Right. It's, it's something slightly different uh, every season. Um, is, is, is that what we think could be going on here? Or is this a case where you basically can get the same thing over and over again? Yeah, I think it's too early for them to really be okay. making that a statement yet. There have been a couple of um, reports that have come out just recently in the last week or two um, about a couple of those specific individual cases, but they don't want to say how that's, you know, um, uh, something that's going to happen to a lot of people, but they still have to do a lot of study and have other cases to compare with, I guess, as well. It, it, it's it, it's such an important point, and we're we're, we're going to kind of return to that later, I think. On the on the mask thing, um, since we're on it, um, do you do you think? And I'm you know I don't want you to put words in anybody's mouth, but 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 do do you think there was there was uh, any sense that they were trying to prevent a run on masks and a run on PPE by telling people not to use them? Or was it just straight up a case of they, they, they really didn't think it was going to be that important? Yeah, I think it was the second case for sure. Okay, okay. okay. Uh, wasn't a matter of them trying to, to keep them in. I mean, we wanted to do that as well. Uh, but no, um, I believe it was the second case. Okay. Okay, that's yeah. that, that that'll that eliminates one of the darker conspiracies that have started floating, <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of them as well as well as we'll see here. I think, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, another thing that yep. so one of the things as planners when we were thinking about what what different areas to think about and assumptions and stuff, one of the other big assumptions that we'd made, and we didn't even think about it at the time, was okay, so we're going to implement social distancing, we're going to implement masking. We never thought about, we just assumed people, if we implement it, they're going to agree with it and do it. Mm-hmm. And now, especially in the U.S., as we're seeing, uh, nope. <laughs> the yeah. assumption that we decided that if we tell people to do these things, they'll just automatically do them because mm-hmm. they'll understand it to you know save their lives or the members of their family or whatever. We never assumed people wouldn't follow that. Well, and, and so that's and, a, a huge assumption that we had that, you know, uh, really then shut down our plans. Yeah. Well, it's and it's a it's, of course, very helpful if uh, you are actually telling people to do it. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the 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 difficulty, obviously, in the in, in the U.S. Uh, is and, and it just it goes to one of the most interesting to me. Uh, points or, or social things that have come out of this pandemic um, is the unbelievable importance of communication and 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 how and how communication is really the only tool that 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 the governments and organizations and companies have and I've I've even had you know business leaders at the at the at the level of their individual companies talking to me about just just how critical the the right kind of communication is even inside their organizations 
Um, and, and, you know, you, we, we've just seen it. I mean, I mean, well, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. I, I mean, Trump has, has just been unbelievably irresponsible in, in talking about, you know, casting aspersions and, and doubt on, on, on whether any of this is necessary or needed. And you see the trickle down effect, right? I mean, <laughs> all these people just, just feel like, well, now they can, now they can choose sides and they can choose whether, you know, that this is important or not to do. Yeah. Uh, it, it's uh, it's 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 amazing. I I really think it is. It's highlighted that uh, that that communication aspect of it, and and you know, and where and where people have gotten. And I think I think here, by and large, in Canada, you know, I mean, people complain about the rules changing all the time, and I, I think that's sort of had to happen because of shifting circumstances. Um, but uh, you know, for the large part, it's it's been a serious and consistent message of this is what you have to do, and. You know, I was at the grocery store last night and everybody had their mask on and, you know, people were doing their best to keep their distance. Um, you know, it does seem to happen when the, when the, when the communication is right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So, um, given, given what we have learned and the, and these things that we know now, um, are there, are there differences today again, than what there were at the beginning for how we think about what needs to happen in workplaces and places where you're having customers in showrooms, uh, or factory floors, um, the kinds of places that, that our listeners here are, are, are involved in running. Um, uh, have there been shifts, uh, Suzanne, in, um, in, 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 in how we approach that for versus how we initially thought we were going to have to do? Yeah, I think that everybody, including your industry, has done really well considering how, you know, nobody, well, no, none of us have, have ever been in, in the middle of this kind of a pandemic emergency situation. Mm-hmm. So considering that, uh, and now that we're like, what, six months in really, mm-hmm. or so, um, and seeing how far we've come and how many resources there are out there now for people, free um, as well, which is, I think, so great. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of... Um, businesses, the ones who have kept on going, um, and hopefully there'll keep on being more businesses created um, as a result of this in the end as well. Um, but um, it's, I think it's been wonderful to see how much has been created so far. Um, really great information and repositories of information um, for all different types of, um, of um, areas and um, schools and um, houses of worship and um, so many different um, things out there to be able to help. Um, And then also with the World Health Organization and um, the different public health agencies who've been putting together some really great information to provide good information through social media as opposed to disinformation. And we know that that's always an issue, right, during any emergency. And of course, the pandemic was the same thing. There was a lot of misinformation, and I'm sure you probably got a couple of the emails or the uh, the texts that were being shared by people earlier on in the pandemic about things like, oh, this crazy, you know, this crazy um, drink can help prevent yeah. COVID, or all these different things that were happening. Um, so people are, you know, having to deal with that stuff as well of what's going on now. But I think that we still know a lot more than we did. 
and are being able to plan a lot better for this second wave that we were pretty much into now, depending on where you are in Canada and uh, mm-hmm. North America. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing that I think that we need to think about as well, because it happened during the 1918 flu, which we're very much seeing some some big um, similarities um, with that pandemic, um, is they had a third wave as well. And I think we all need to be I know it's exhausting already thinking about a second wave because it feels like we didn't even get over the first mm-hmm. properly. But um, we, we may very well see a third wave before we have a vaccine developed and out distributed and, and everything. Um, so we should still be thinking about that, too. Um, right. It's good that we're, you know, that we're ready a little bit, a lot more than we were before for this second wave. So I believe that's going to help us. Uh, as long as we stick to those those social distancing measures and all of the the great things the people in this country have done, they need to continue to be able to do that uh, and and be encouraged to be able to continue to monitor their symptoms, their health, all of that throughout this winter and next next summer throughout to next summer, I'd say is when we really have to be careful and we'll be probably dealing with maybe a third wave. Um, after Christmas, I would say. Oh boy. Um, do, do, do you, do you see the winter is going to be a big problem, Suzanne? I, I mean, I, I, I just, just based on, again, my, you know, my, my understanding of, of, of how this thing works and how it spreads. Uh, it, it seems to me that people being indoors, especially with shared air circulation, uh, seems to be the biggest risk. Obviously, if you're just in your house, it's you know, and it's all your own family. Well, that's fine, but but everyone's going to be indoors, you know, more even when they have to go out in public um, right. uh, over the winter. Do, do do you see this as as having the potential to really make things spike again? Yeah, I think yeah. that we'll we'll see that. I I'm predicting maybe that it'll be same similar as what happened during the Spanish flu, where this second wave, which we're just starting to get into now here, mm-hmm. um, we'll see what what that gives us. Um, but you just, that the height of the pandemic was that second wave for them, so it may very well be the same thing for us, where this is going to be a little bit bigger for some areas um, before we plateau and then get go down again. But then, because with everything, as you ease those levels of uh, emergency. And, and then bring back in business and stuff because you have to do that too, right? So it's going to be very a fine line between managing all of that where how, like, what can you keep open safely and responsibly versus what you need to shut down to be safe and responsible as well. Um, and so the longer that we get in this, the more we're, we're going to continue to have those challenges. So I would say probably... Christmas time again a lot of people will be thinking you know forget it I'm not you know I just wasted my whole summer staying inside I'm going to meet I'm going to go see my family or whatever so that would probably be what would one of the reasons why we could see a third wave and when it would around be would be is around you know makes sense the holiday period Um, even though you're telling people to not congregate together it's going to be really difficult. It's, we can see how already it was difficult to be able to get that message to be understood um, in a couple of areas uh, in the province over the summer. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, we're seeing it with weddings and different things as well. So people are going to be wanting to get together during Christmas. So I predict that every business, and we should all be thinking about, yes, get how we're getting through stuff now, but also thinking about how we're going to get through stuff um, in the new year. Hmm. Yeah, I, I. it seemed to correlate to me, at least in our area, and I'm in London, Ontario. Um, uh-huh. it, it, it certainly, you know, the little, we seem to have flattened it out again already, which is great, uh, yeah. at least at present present indications um the um but i mean the back to school you know that that just obviously seemed to create and and no matter how careful the schools were um it just seemed to create this i I think less even with the kids than just because people were moving around more you know like people were going place to place more and well and then of course western made to, to my mind the bizarre decision to go ahead and have on on campus classes uh, again i i'm sure they had their reasons but it, it it seemed to me to be a strange decision when you could do you can do every, you know everything in university online really except right. some engineering stuff but they the, anyways that 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 there seemed to be that correlation with the with the back to school and yeah i i agree with you i mean i mean christmas you know there's just going to be that impetus for people to be out moving around and traveling and going from place to place again and and it just seems inevitable that when that happens you you know you end up with more yeah i don't know how to avoid it back on the um back on the um on the on the on the business thing is is one of the things that that people maybe need to people could be less concerned about is the surfaces, Suzanne. I like like my understanding is that 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 at least the indication seems to be like you say this thing is mostly airborne, and 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 picking it up from surfaces is not as um, much of a problem as maybe people feared uh, at the start. Not that you you know want to let your surfaces become a slime covered you know nothing, but but that that, that maybe that maybe maybe being really obsessive about wiping everything down is not as important as it might have been what what's your sense of that right yeah i think so if you're going to obsess over something it should be obsessing over washing your hands okay and just getting that into a common practice for everybody just anytime they touch anything wherever they are maybe not in their own bubble right (laughs) that they've been in but besides that just that's probably the biggest thing to get like just drill down into people is just that habit of just always doing that because yeah. then you're just less risk if you've picked it up from touching the doorknob or not, or from shaking the hands with somebody, it doesn't matter. It's the same thing. But as long as you've washed after you've done either of those, yeah, either of those shouldn't be harmful to you. Right. So that's, I think, the most important thing that we have to just get that messaging in and explain that to people just like that. <laughs> that's it's simply, yeah. it's a, that's what's most important and that it's not a and that it's not a case of like like you you have to take in a certain amount of viral load before it before it can become infectious so so it isn't a case of touching a surface and then touching you know putting you know touching your face once and then bang you know it's like it's if it stays on your hands and and you're sort of reinfecting yourself over and over again right yeah 
So it's, it's, it's not quite as, um, like you say, as long as you wash your hands, especially if you're conscious that you've been in a new area and, and, and you wash your hands, because I mean, what I have or, or what I think some companies started doing uh, early on, uh, you know, following advice and trying to be as careful as possible, you know, they're wiping down every single piece of equipment every time anyone uses it. And they're, and they're, and they're, they're wiping every, every counter and washing everything, you know, the, the, the minute somebody's in the area. And I, I, I guess, you know, maybe that, maybe that level isn't entirely necessary as long as people are washing their hands and using hand sanitizer. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's, it's, it's uh, you know, that, if there's some some small relief in all of this, I think people are going to want to are going to are going to want to glom onto it. Listen, Suzanne, yeah. because you know so much about this stuff, I I want to I want to I, I get you on some of the some of the bigger perspectives that are just you know so dominating the conversation all the time everywhere now. Um, I want to ask you about Sweden, and and you know I I in in all of this, of course, now we're you know we're hearing debates and, and people are starting to question what the governments have done and, and whether this was necessary and that was necessary. And, and, and you hear a lot of talk, of course, about Sweden that, that famously didn't have, well, the funny thing is that I don't think people understand is that they, they did have safety orders and, and, and people were asked to do many of the same things that we're, that we were asked to do, but I, I guess it wasn't enforced. Businesses weren't shut down. Uh, uh, this kind of thing. It was all, it was all sort of voluntary. Um, it, it, t- tell me, I guess, com- com- compare what they've done I- I- in your mind, uh, Suzanne, to, to what, to what we've done, to what other places have done. And, and it, like, were they right? Were they wrong? Did they, it, what, is there, is there, is there, is there a lesson there or what, what's, what's your evaluation of sort of the debate over the lockdown thing? You know, I guess that, you raise a good point that um, it depends on who you talk to through this pandemic and who, where they are in the world and what happened to the, you know, what, what their, their circumstances were. Mm-hmm. And so there's a couple of places like Sweden that you mentioned that appear like the, whatever they did, they did well enough that they were able to keep those numbers down and, and look like potentially not having a second wave and, and being able to manage that first wave quite well. Um, but not being able to speak on behalf of them and know exactly what they did or didn't do, I can't say. But what I can say is that um, I think that it would it still makes sense for people to be planning for what we realize are the two best ways to be able to avoid the spread of any contagious disease, um, like um, what we're seeing now or anything else, really. Um the most important thing is still to get that messaging to your staff and to your clients about washing your hands, or if you don't have access to water and soap, on the this hand sanitizer use. Um, and that is still, I mean, that's number one. And that also maybe cuts down on some of the messaging that people feel that they have to give out to everybody um, um, constantly on um, on other things. But I think the bottom line is, yeah, it's you don't want the stuff to get into you, so try not to touch your face with your hands. Mm-hmm. Um, at least, or if you're going to touch your face with your hands, and a lot of people are face touchers and don't even realize it mm-hmm. when they're talking to people. But if you're a face toucher, just try to remember that every time you can, try to think of it, then wash your hands or have sanitizer, hand sanitizer with you. 
Mm. And just any time you've done, done anything or touched anything or gone anywhere um, to make sure that you have that hand sanitizer with you at all times. Another big one that, uh, you know, another big sort of, I don't know, almost uh, political debate that's, that's, that's gone on around about all of this, right, is, is whether the cure is worse than the disease. Uh, there's, you know, some, some people I'd like to point to, uh, you know, statistics that things like depression and drug abuse and violence and all of that has gone up, uh, as a, as a result of, of, of lockdowns and people staying home. Um, what's your sense of that, Suzanne? Do you, do, do you feel like these problems are, 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 are important enough that, that, that you, you need to get out, you need to get out of a, of a lockdown situation as fast as possible or, or is, or is it just, you know, very much, you know, that, that, that's something that has to be tolerated in order to control the, the spread. Yeah, I really do think that the measures that we've put in place and even some of the measures we put in place, I think we held off a couple of weeks too long to be Mm -hmm. able to make those decisions, but they were decisions that needed to be made uh, when we're talking about the lockdown decisions and and how long those lasted for, specifically in the greater Toronto area which we're still going through that, but um, there are, you know, a lot of reasons why we're still in a declared stage of this emergency, um, and, and we need to keep keep at it that way. Um, maybe, sorry, I'm, I'm kind of forgetting what the, the, the main question was in the first place. Well, I'm just I wondering how you balance, I'm wondering how you balance in your mind, right, and, 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 and maybe the right perspective on, um, the, the 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 problems that the pandemic causes in terms of in terms of depression and right. drug use and, and and domestic violence they've blamed on it and, and and things like that versus versus the the pros and cons right and that and the, the pro right. of obviously stopping the spread and I guess preventing hospitals from being overwhelmed right and I mean that's the other thing is um, yeah that 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 happened for us to us during SARS. Um, for those who remember the the locals who were in the greater Toronto area, mm-hmm. um, where they had to make some tough decisions about um, about what surgeries to continue with and what treatments to continue with, mm-hmm. and which ones they just didn't have the staffing for because of them being overridden by SARS mm-hmm. patients um, and deaths. And that was a difficult ethical decision and question that they were being asked of each other, of themselves every day in the health uh, care community um, and something that people are obviously still having to ask themselves mm-hmm. right now, depending on what community they're in and what uh, level uh, of hospital uh, accessibility is there or not. Um, but I, I don't know. I think that we, we just have to make sure that we let our clients know, let our staff know um, that we're going to be able to try to provide them with whatever resources that we can to help them get through everything there is to get through um, with this kind of an emergency you had mentioned about how those numbers are increasing and violence at home and stuff because Mm -hmm. of people. And yes, we're seeing that. And of course, we're going to see that situation where you have people that are now having to spend 24 hours a day with each other. because their workplaces now are at the home, at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then so is their schooling, perhaps. Um, they're schooling their children at home. Uh, so many different reasons for other things to be happening. But yes, 
that uh, it's it's worth the risk because we don't know how many additional people would be or could be dying um, if we if we don't um, take into account um, those things that we could be doing to try to prevent them. Uh, and one of the things that I think that would be great for every business to do if they could is to be able to have something online for their clients um, to be able to, and, and to their staff, for their staff as well, but to give them resources on where to direct them when, you know, on because like we mentioned that there's been a lot of uh, um, hostility and violence at home. Uh, as opposed to the workplace now, because people's workplaces are in the homes. Yeah. Um, so we have to think about that and think about how we would address that as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are you hearing about vaccines? What's the what's the good what's the good information there? Because it seems like there's a sort of a new story every day, and it's it's hard yeah, and it's hard for us be, to track. Right, and it, it'll be like that right up until we found a vaccine, I think, where you'll you'll hear, you know, a different bunch of stories every day about, because there are different groups all over the world who are working on this. So yeah. whoever does become the heroic country out huh. of this, it'll be, uh, it'll be exciting to see yeah. that for sure. But in the meantime, yeah, the bottom line is that they were pretty correct um, in their first guesstimates about how it would be, you know, up to 18 months before we could see something. So that's still looking like that could be the case, mm-hmm. uh, which means we're probably in it for, you know, maybe until next summer. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and it, it may never go away fully too, like you were mentioning, right? Some of our influenza causes of our pandemics in the past didn't actually ever just disappear, but they just kind of faded away a little bit and then just, are still around like h1n1 is now just a regular influenza virus Hmm. that is part of you know um our flu vaccination every every year as well that's another thing that we should be encouraging everybody more than ever now is to also get their flu shot right Uh, Right. because then we don't want to have a bunch of people who have regular flu as well as um the pandemic uh virus did you get time. both at the same time? Um, could you be ill with both at the same time? That's yeah. a good question. I'm yeah. not sure if you could or not. I don't know. Uh, but yeah. that would be pretty brutal if you did, though. <laughs> well, <laughs> possibly lethal, right? I mean, that. that yeah, that, yeah. That would not. That that's would not be. Question. That would not be good. I, I wonder if. I wonder if that's uh, even possible, or if they're similar enough that once your immune system's up for one, it's kind of knocking out the other. I. I, I don't know. Um, obviously I don't know, uh, the, um, um, and then once, even once a vaccine is ready, then there's the little matter of sticking a needle in the arm of 30 million people just here in Canada. Right. So what, what's your, what's your guess as to how long distribution of this thing would, would, and how would that even take place? And you know what? I don't even want to guesstimate because yeah. it, it, there's so many variables on it. So I don't know. But yeah, realistically, people have to think that when we talk about and you hear um, the World Health Organization or others saying it's going to take 12 to 18 months for a vaccine 
yeah, but then that they're not talking about that every human then has, has had immediately uh, gets has it, been yeah. vaccinated. That's mm-hmm. just that they've got it approved and that they start the pro the vaccination program. So I would say it's probably even going to be a few months in for the communities um, for each country to to be immunized. Yeah. Um, it would take at least you know several months to do that as well. Yeah. And, and and what 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 do the models for that look like? I guess they what they open up clinics or you know like public clinics yeah. or something and have people you know make appointments or line up or something to well presumably not line up because they don't want everybody crowding in but right. but they have that. yeah my yeah it would probably end up being the provinces who would individually be responsible for uh, figuring out the distribution and. Uh, and vaccination um, that would be probably common throughout Canada. Uh, and of course, it'll take a little bit longer for t- different communities to get vaccinated than others. Um, that's the other thing that probably will happen too, is once there's a vaccine approved, is that it'll be staged, where of course the, the places and the people who should be getting them first, like the long-term care facility workers, those kinds of things, then it'll, it'll be um, staggered where they'll get the first um, the first vaccinations yeah. um, the essential service workers those kinds of people they'll probably make a list like that on uh, to be able to make sure that hopefully those that we need to be fully healthy um, throughout the pandemic they're the ones that will get the vaccine first hmm. the I guess the yeah the, the I guess the the, the last thing I want to I want to talk about I guess is that is the <laughs> suppose the I suppose the a, a bad case scenario or maybe not the worst case scenario but that that would be uncontrolled uh, spread but uh, uh, another bad case scenario I guess is that is that a vaccine isn't possible uh, or or it or it it has very low efficacy like with other coronaviruses uh and uh and and or or this thing you know mutates enough that it's it's you can't really control it with a vaccine what, what what's what's plan b suzanne if 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 a vaccine isn't very effective or they can't get an effective one and let's well the, uh, actually we'll address the whole here herd immunity thing uh, uh, secondly, but but first of all, if a vaccine isn't 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 very available, what 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 then? Like, can we go on like this forever? I don't think anybody thinks we can. At some point, people are going to say, "Well, we're just going to have to take our chances." Yeah. Well, I think that um, it may very well be. I mean, it could be. It, it, we never found a cure for SARS. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we don't have a cure for the common cold or influenza, so it may be that we never find a vaccine for this either. Uh, they're seeming to think that, yes, it's more so leaning on that, that they will be able to find a vaccine. But they do talk about as well, what what if they, they aren't able to find one? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it could be, that could be the case. However, it should be, you know, it will die down as, more people become infected and then yes eventually but we're not anywhere near where herd immunity would be uh, an option um, for anybody right now 
but eventually, yes, if you factor in herd immunity, more people are getting it and getting over it. Um, but then again, also making it just about people's part of their daily life and constant thinking about the hand hygiene mm. aspect. And the and if people can do that, I think that they can be they'll be able to like get through this virus even if we can't obliterate it completely. Yeah. Um, there are definitely ways that we can try to avert um, from us um, getting uh, the disease. Or at the end, it'll just be that, yeah, it gets weaker and uh, we all end up getting it. I mean, nobody can predict what will happen, yeah. um, but we can predict now how people are going, what people are going to do or not want to do. So people should be thinking about how to try to get that message out to people that about the masking and the washing their hands and not touching your face. Yeah, because it, it seems that, like, it seems that there comes a a point where I mean, I mean, all of this kind of makes sense when there's a when there's a, a an end goal of a vaccine uh, out there, right? If it becomes yeah. the case of well, it's not a vaccine. Okay, now do we attempt to keep the curve flat forever, right? And and obviously, the the outcome, the consequences of not keeping the curve flat are potentially horrific. Uh, uh, many, many, many dead people. Um, and 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 th- that you know obviously can't be allowed. But. Um, on the other hand, maybe the hospitals could be handling more than they're handling. Um, so, although that's a slippery slope, isn't it? Because the minute you, you know, you let it rise a little bit, well, then you've got that potential for an exponential explosion in, 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 in sort of any area. Um, it, 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 it makes you, it makes you, it makes you wonder how, you know, and, and like you say, I, so I guess, I guess really the message there is, is, you know, in a lot of Asian countries, people walk around in public with masks on all the time. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they did that before and they've done it for years. Um, and, uh, and then, and then if you keep up the hand sanitizing, you know, I, I, I guess at some point we reach a point where COVID becomes like the, like the flu and like the, like a cold and, you know, while well, it's back every season and this is, you know, just added to the list of viruses you might possibly get. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although, I, I mean, can, but can we tolerate that, Suzanne? Because it is, isn't this, isn't this still, you know, somewhat more dangerous than the flu? It In is. Fact, yeah. Yeah, it is. However, it will probably like most viruses um, will end up getting weaker and weaker. They do? Yeah. Um, And so that's what they're assuming. It's the same thing eventually will happen with this one as well, even if we don't get a vaccine for it. It may just weaken itself out. Um, But it'll probably take longer than, you know, 18 months for that to happen. Right. I I did not know that. I did not know that that actually happened, right? Like, I, I thought it was just a matter of people's immunity that 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 caused the viruses to become less of a problem. Yeah. And then it might be that it might be one of the reasons, but um, uh, we saw during SARS too, the the same kind of effect happening. Um, Fascinating. Yeah. Sorry. Continue. 
No, that's no, that's that that's 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 fascinating. I've learned something there. I I didn't know that uh, I didn't know that you could, you know, sort of over time you would you would end up with possibly weaker strains of the virus. Uh, uh, yeah, it just okay, depends so. on the virus, and it would depend uh, on things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, some uh, of them get stronger. Huh. Some, most of them get weaker. SARS is still around, but obviously a lot weaker yeah. than it was, and not a cause for uh, for a pandemic that we can see. But well, yeah. that's very interesting. That's very interesting. Well, there's a there's a there's a small there's a small reason for hope, but we pro- we think we think they'll probably be able to come up with some kind of a vaccine. Uh, right. I think yeah. that's that 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 actually is the is the is the likelihood. I'm certainly addressing a worst case scenario there. I think right. Um, listen, Suzanne, this, this has been great. Uh, uh, thanks so much for, uh, for, for, uh, talking about all of this, you know, so much has changed since, since the spray, it just feels like the pace of n- news is, is overwhelming. And, uh, and, and it's really nice to have, uh, have your perspective on all these things. Thanks. It's good to be here. And maybe we'll get together again in six months or whatever to, to talk about what, what, where we're at there. <laughs> I, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take you up on that because we we're we're, we're gonna we're gonna need to we're, in six months things could look all very different again, couldn't they? So they sure could. Yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll certainly we'll certainly uh, we'll certainly make that make a date of that. Okay, that's great. Okay, perfect. And you Suzanne guys stay Bernier. safe in the meantime. Suzanne Bernier, SB Crisis Consulting. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Patrick. Talk to you soon. Fenestration Conversation is a presentation of Fenestration Review Magazine and Annex Business Media.